Football is back and right now Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets including first, last or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day and with Bet365 Bet Builder you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals and more to create your own personal bets. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Lives feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and your Wolverhampton Wanderers correspondent for The Athletic with an extra spring in his step, Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hello, Jackie. Got some actual football to talk about today. Some Wolverhampton Wanderers football and three gold-plated points. Isn't that extraordinary? We've got so much to talk about. How are we going to fit all this in? There's so, so much to go on. It's, it's famine to feast, isn't it? Oh, my. We don't have time to talk about your hairdo, your dartboard, your life. The fact that you... The fact you haven't bought a bike yet, none of that. We're going to have to get straight into the football. And joining us both to dissect a hugely satisfying 2-0 victory at West Ham is former Wolves striker and Sky Sports pundit Super Don Goodman. And to preview an equally important match at Molyneux on Wednesday early evening is the Bournemouth correspondent for The Athletic, Peter Rutzler. So we have plenty to ponder ahead of that game. First, Tim, your message to me this morning started with buzzing for today I mean was that was that caffeine was it a bit of sunshine or or was there maybe something else that's put you in a good mood just the thought of uh, speaking to you again Jackie that's that's all it was <laughs> what a weekend hey? oh what a weekend oh what a Saturday evening I mean yeah the whole weekend you're right it's nice to have purpose back in our lives right and now everyone's in such a great mood and obviously topped off by that win and all the results elsewhere and just so much to look forward to over the next two months. It was with the football coming back. My husband said to me very seriously in the kitchen the other night when I was talking about watching the first two games, he said, so just so I know, is that you done now for the next six weeks? Like away from the family, is that it? <laughs> I was like, I'm not that bad, am I? And I checked my calendar <laughs> and I realised I had downloaded, you know, the little widget where you press the button um, and oh, you, you can download, oh, I love it, you download all the Premier League fixtures to your iCal or equivalent and uh, you don't have to have it on all the time, but they're just there, the kickoff times and everything. It is wonderful, but first of all, we have this match to talk about. I mean, where did you watch it? Obviously you weren't allowed at the ground, but how did it work for you? I watched I watched it just a couple of feet away from where you can see me here, Jackie, on my, on my little mm. sofa. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a strange experience. I'm not going to um, go on about it because fans are, are in exactly the same position. But yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, it was nice not to be there. And yeah, for people who don't know, there are obviously, obviously, and understandably, very tight restrictions on how many media can go to games. And for some games, there'll be a restriction of like one person per organisation. So obviously, at the Athletic, we've all got club correspondents for every Premier League club. So. We're kind of sending the home reporter for some games and vice versa, whatever. So anyway, I wasn't there, but um, I enjoyed watching it very much on um, on Sky and marvelled at what was a sort of a textbook away performance, really. I mean, they, Nuno's game plan, 3-5-2 to 3-4-3, Traore on to win it after keeping it tight for the first hour. Just perfect. Yeah, we'll get Super Don on in a minute to talk more about that game because there's a lot more to talk about, isn't it? But looking at other results, I mean, they could hardly have gone better, could they? And then with the Villa leading against Chelsea, I know some Wolves fans would rather take a Villa defeat under any circumstances. But in terms of the table, that was going to help. Okay, Chelsea turned it around, but all the others went in their favour. Yeah, we, we were texting, weren't we, during the Villa game, getting getting quite excited. Uh, old Courtney, Agent Courtney was a wolf. Was a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, it's amazing how it's turned out. And then you look ahead to this week's fixtures. Obviously, Wolves play Bournemouth at home on Wednesday. Man United play Sheffield United on the same day. So that's the two teams either side of Wolves. So one or both are going to drop points. Chelsea have got Man City on Thursday. So if Wolves can do the business, and we'll talk about the Bournemouth game in depth a bit later, then they'll either have a cushion in sixth, um, ahead of Sheffield United, which could be up to um, could be five points, or they'll be in fifth place ahead of Man United. So um, 
it's all kind of come together and, and from what I've been hearing from the club about how well prepared they are, about how they're uh, approaching the next two months and seeing it as a fantastic opportunity to do something special and everyone's raring to go. You know, you, you hear these things and I'm sure other clubs are saying the same, but it really kind of felt tangible with Wolves and, and that's how it kind of played out on Saturday. I thought out of all, of all the games I've watched so far, they were one of the most prepared teams I've seen and the fitness levels were good and they only had to make a couple of subs, didn't they? And it just looks like they're ready. It really looks like they're ready. And then, you, like I say, you look at the table, you look at the fact that they're playing the team in 18th next and the team in 19th after that. And um, and they're just in a great position. Just put a little bit of flesh on the bone for us. When you say they're the best prepared that they could be, and especially compared to other teams, what do you mean by that? We know about the attention to detail. We know they've got fabulous backroom staff. But what exactly do you mean, bearing in mind they've had all these restrictions around them? I just got the impression that the way that the club handled everything from March the 18th or whatever it was onwards, that the club and the players felt very comfortable in what the club were doing for them. So Jeff's expertise from what had happened in China and then Dr Matt Perry, such a pivotal figure at this club at the moment. It is anyway, but you know he's really come to the fore in the last few months. You won't hear much from him, you know he's very media shy, but, um, but he's doing an amazing job. I feel like they're very comfortable in, in what's been done for them by the club. And maybe you look at other clubs like Troy Deeney and Kante and maybe players elsewhere thinking, oh, do we want to come back? Is this the right thing to do? Do we want to be coming back playing football? You know, it wasn't the case with Wolves. From, from Cody and, and all the other players, you know, they, they, they were keen and ready to come back, comfortable in their surroundings and ready to, to approach it as normal, in a normal fashion as possible. So I think that's, I think that's helped them hit the ground running, and, and that can be reflected in, in the coming weeks. And just to clarify the table, there's six at the moment. Yes. Only behind fifth place Manchester United on goal difference. That's plus nine to plus 14. So both five points behind Chelsea, who are fourth after their win at Villa. But two points clear of Sheffield United as things stand. Remember, they were denied a win at Villa by Hawkeye. Oh, my goodness. And they had that 3-0 defeat at Newcastle. Castle when they went down to 10 men uh, at nil-nil. Uh, Spurs and Palace are both four points behind Wolves. Arsenal now six points behind after successive defeats. Yeah, now, we're yeah. recording before the Man City-Burnley game, but that would change only if Burnley won, unlikely. But this Champions League business, it's dangling like a ball of wool in front of a little kitten, isn't it? And, and Wolves having a little swipe, they're sort of daring to swipe at it and they don't want to miss. No, you're right. They've got daylight between them and Spurs already, as you say, four points. Daylight between them and Arsenal, six points. And we've spoken on this podcast in recent weeks, you know, kind of worried, will these teams have a bit of a resurgence? You know, Spurs got their injured players back, Arsenal, more time with Arteta. But I guess what we've perhaps missed is these guys, they've got the same squads as before and they've still got the same frailties as before and these things won't be um, rectified um, before transfer window, before the transfer window is open. So and I think that's been reflected in results elsewhere. Really, everything's sort of gone by, um, sort of by the form guide that we saw before lockdown. Actually, and like I said, teams that are still struggling are still going to struggle. Simple as that. So, and Wolves are on an upward curve, you know, in, in, back in March, looking up the table, and with the running they've got, which we've spoken about a lot, then um, they've really got the potential to certainly finish fifth. And then we'll see what happens with Chelsea's results. They've got Chelsea on the last day. Maybe they'll be catchable as well. Just very briefly, before we bring in Super Don, can you just tell us about the logistical challenges that Wolves faced of being the away team during a pandemic down in London? Yes, so they travelled down the day before, as they normally do, which is good. So they didn't disrupt their routine that much. They stayed in a hotel. Um, Some hotels are open kind of exclusively for, for certain things like this. And I think they stayed in a hotel that they normally stay at in London, so they know the staff there. They felt very comfortable with that. The only difference was they travelled down in yeah in two coaches on on the Friday um, to maintain social distancing. Um, a good thing about West Ham was that they got four dressing rooms there because obviously it was built originally for Olympics Hughes Stadium. So Wolves used two dressing rooms and just spread themselves out. So logistically, it wasn't. It's probably an ideal stadium for it, right? West Ham, it's a huge, vacuous stadium with lots of buildings and space. So that's a good thing. It'll be different elsewhere. It'll be different at Molyneux on Wednesday when the away team will use the Sir Jack Haywood suite for their dressing room because uh, the away dressing room isn't big enough for them all to be in. Same with Wolves, the home dressing room. They'll partly use that and they'll partly use the players' lounge. So different things to get used to and every every club's going to be... very different but from what I gather it was all managed quite well 
Wall's dressing room isn't big enough anyway, according to Jurgen Klopp. I was told he was having a right old moan in the oh, yeah. in the tunnel last season, going, what, what's this? It's a tiny dressing room. But he did it in a German accent. But anyway, by the way, if you are not already a subscriber, sign up today for a 40% discount to The Athletic, simply by visiting theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. And you can enjoy the best football writing. You can have Tim's regular in-depth analysis, as well as ad-free podcasts just with the Premier League returning. Perfect time to sign up. So that's less than £3 a month and you can cancel at any time. Now, let's bring in the former Wolves striker and the current Sky summariser, Don Goodman, who no doubt watched the game on Saturday evening with great interest. Hi, Don. Hi, Jackie. I certainly did. I bet you did. What was your general assessment of the game? I was very pleased with what I saw. Um, I think we're all all football fans and people that work in the media and broadcasting, we're all looking at every game to see how the players are individually, how they are as a team in terms of physicality, sharpness, mentality. And I have to say with Wolves, I was, uh, I was more than impressed um, with the way that they, they played, uh, the same patterns that we're used to seeing. You know, it's been that way for such a long time. And I think that's going to be one of the things that benefit Wolves in these final eight games really that we have remaining is the fact that they they have a way of playing and they have variety within that way of playing that I think obviously we saw the benefit of when uh, Adama Traore came off the bench and uh, basically won the game in the end for Wolves. I mean some stats are really dull and don't tell you a great deal but but these stats are quite interesting Don that in the first 60 minutes of Premier League games this season Wolves have scored 20 goals but in the last 30, they've scored 23 now after those two late ones. And, and the conceding stats, they conceded 29 in the first hour of the game and only five in the last 30. Mm. What do you put that down to? I think that you have to attribute that down to their conditioning, don't you, really, I would say. Um, it's too coincidental for it to be something else, really. So mental strength and resilience is, is great, you know, when, you, when you're either chasing a game or trying to control a lead that you that you have, but you need physical conditioning. And I'm one that I go on record frequently, actually, um, about the uh, the medical team at Wolves, the physios, the doctors, the nutritionists, etc. because Nuno generally works with a smallish squad, Jackie, smaller than most coaches in the Premier League and even in the Championship, you know. And the fact that, with respect, they've had so few injuries over the course of his tenure in time, I, I think it speaks volumes for those behind the scenes that, that don't always get the credit that they deserve. And actually, you know, when you look at um, the scenario, the, the, the terrible scenario that we've had, we've had a lockdown, players have had to train on their own, and then they've come together, trained in small groups before uh, being allowed to go back into the big groups. And yet still, you know, there was a nice uh, sharpness about Wolves and they certainly looked um, looked very, very fit. And, and I was very pleased with what I saw. But to illustrate your point, if you look at the Premier League injuries table, Wolves are the only club who are not on it at all. No injuries. <laughs> Arsenal have got eight. Everton yeah. have got six. There are loads of teams, including West Ham, with five. I and mean, we all know about the, the, the ability and the quality of the backroom staff. But yeah. You get the feeling, and I was talking to Tim about this sort of in the last couple of weeks, that it's almost going to be like a mini-league table of the fitness and conditioning staff between now and the end of the season, isn't it? And how they've how they've managed their, the prehab of these players yeah. to get them in the right condition so they don't pick up the niggles like we saw a lot of in Germany. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm glad you um, you had those the, the stats, the injury table to hand. I, I had absolutely no idea that, that you were going to say that, so that was me just general, uh, you know, generally looking at the the period of time that Nuno has been at the football club, looking at the uh, sort of very very limited rotation that he has uh, used, certainly in the Premier League uh, and even in the cup games at times and the big games, uh, he tends to have a core of players that he doesn't vary from. Um, and it is to the credit of that those uh, the backroom team, the, like I say, the conditioners, the the nutritionists, the medical team. Uh, it's they've done a remarkable job in the in the nearly three years uh, or so that, that that Nuno has been at the football club. And and you're right, going into such a unique situation now uh, 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 as we are with eight games remaining after a sort of a three month layoff, if you like it. It is important. We saw James Milner pick up a hamstring injury, didn't we, in the Liverpool in the Everton Liverpool derby? And 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 you are going to get 
um, little niggly injuries like that across the board. You mentioned the Bundesliga. We, we saw that there. But yet Wolves just seem to manage their conditioning of their players. Uh, and you have to give credit to the players as well. They obviously follow a very strict training and um, pre- and post-game routine. Um, and it is to all of their credits that they have this fantastic record when it comes to injuries. Don, it's, uh, it's Tim here. You're right, mate. Um, it's, they, 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 they sort of defy the laws of physics, really. I mean, they've used the fewest number of players in the league this season, which is 20. Two of those have now left the club. Um, they've had to play 15 Europa League games on top of this schedule. And yet, they look fitter than anyone. And their second half record is um, is unbelievable. I, I wonder, like, from a player's point of view, if you're if you're totally confident that you're not going to pick up a muscle injury today because you, your conditioning work is at the club is so good, does, does that really help your mindset and, and your and your confidence? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I don't think any player, unless he already has some kind of pre problem, w- would go into a a game f- fearing that they were going to pull a muscle. You know, I, I really genuinely don't. And I think when you've got the record that the Wolves players have got um, in, in in the last two or three years, then that would be the last thing on your mind, you know, for them the focus, because they're not going to have to worry about that or they won't be worrying about that, they'll be very much focused on the game plan and how they're going to win games of football. And, of course, each game against different types of opposition, different calibre of opposition represents a different challenge. And, uh, and and for the Nuno and the players to be able to focus on that rather than worry about uh, uh, injuries and rotation, et cetera, et cetera, it's, it's got to be a massive positive. Going back to the Triori situation, because on 64 minutes, Nuno brought on Neto and Triori for Jota and Dendonka. Mm. Do you think that was part of plan A rather than being plan B? I think uh, I think you've always got to have that up your sleeve. Um, I think, you know, if it were a game, you know, the last game of the season, shall we say, and Wolves needed to beat West Ham, uh, on Saturday evening, I, I'm very confident that Adama Traore would have played. But the fact that he's recovering from shoulder surgery, etc., etc., is uh, uh, and the other players around at the football club that gave Nuno the confidence to leave uh, a player who has been outstanding um, on the bench. And again, you you factor in first game for everybody, uh, West Ham players as well after a three month layoff. And then you have uh, Adama Traore, who, yes, he's, he's technically very, very good. He's found an end product now. But we all, when we when we say his name, when we think about him, the first thing that springs to mind is that remarkable burst of pace that, that he has. Um, so the fact that Nuno could bring that on with uh, half an hour of the game to go um, is a real weapon, and, and so it proved to be. Just put yourself in the mindset of Aaron Cresswell, the left-back for West Ham. Just, just picture the scene. <laughs> he's worked his backside off for an hour. He's feeling quite good about himself. They're not conceded. Yeah, they're not scored, but it's going OK. And then he looks at the sidelines and he sees Adama Traore coming on. I mean, imagine having gone three games without playing... And then seeing that coming towards you, steaming towards you with muscles, pace, power and control. He's not even a headless chicken. He's got all his end product these days. Yeah. The poor lad. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's not just Aaron Creswell. I think it's every, uh, every Premier League coach in the country now has to try and create a plan uh, in order to nullify Adama Traore. And um, more often than not, they fail because sometimes he's simply unplayable, has to be said. I mean, Trory's no Tim Steele, but he is decent, isn't he? (laughs) Do you remember Timmy Steele? Loved him. Uh, Of course I do. Played against him many times. Good luck. I do wonder what he's up to these days. no idea. But anyway, I digress. The formation situation is fascinating, isn't it? Because if you're an opposition manager, and we'll come on to talk about Bournemouth with the, the Bournemouth correspondent in a bit, but if you're the opposition manager... You're thinking, are they going to play 3-5-2? Are they going to play 3-4-3? Is Triori even going to start? I mean, it, it must mess with your preparation and your you know your headspace ahead of the game. Well, it's all, it's all part of the tactics within football, isn't it? Keeping your opposition, uh, trying to second guess whether it be which players are going to play, whether it be which formation. And of course, if you've got the luxury of being able to play a, a variety of formations and introduce a variety of players, then, you know, you really do keep the opposition second guessing and um, right up until the the kickoff. And, um, you know, obviously coaches and managers and teams 
you want to be as prepared as possible. Um, I always used to remember really thinking about if we were playing on a Saturday, on a Friday, I'd be thinking about my likely opponents, who was going to be marking me, the central defenders, what their strengths were, what their weaknesses were, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, now we're in a different age where there are more substitutes and a sort of a wider amount of tactics probably than when I was playing straight 4-4-2, wasn't it, back in the day? Um, and teams could prepare for that, whereas now there are so many variations of formations. Um, it does make life very, very difficult. And Wolves are one of the teams that can that can really vary uh, the, the individuals and the formation. And it, and it must be a, a real headache for opposing coaches. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's probably one of the very few weaknesses you could level at Wolves in the past couple of years is that you knew what formation they were going to play and they've tended to do 3-4-3 three, three for a couple of months on end or 3-5-2 for a couple of months on end but now he's mixing it up um, yeah it makes it much harder to prepare for and, and harder to beat I guess um, Don I was also wondering I mean <laughs> yeah. I guess with success comes interest from elsewhere and you see you see Wolves fans talking about it incessantly at the moment is that Nuno's contract's up next mm. summer Jimenez has been linked with, with uh, every every club in the, under the sun so is Traore I mean if, if if they do something special in the next two months do you think that helps um, Wolves keep hold of these these players and Nuno or, or, or hinder or not make a difference what would you reckon? Well it certainly doesn't hinder Tim I would, I would place that on record you know um, look achieving Champions League football for Wolverhampton Wanderers, you know, three years ago, people would have laughed at you to, to say that they would even have a a remote possibility with eight games going. I mean, bearing in mind they weren't even in the Premier League in the three years ago. So, you know, um, they've come a long way in a short space of time and, you know, they've signed all these wonderful players and a few that not so wonderful, it has to be said, along the way in that, in that time. But the best signing that they've made uh, arguably in their history alongside Steve Bull well let's go I say that because <laughs> Bull is one of my best mates so I can say that and get him in there um, is is Nuno Espirito Santo he has he has not just come to Wolverhampton um, he's coming to uh, a championship club that I think finished somewhere like 14th or 15th the season before he got there so he's working in a, one of the hardest leagues in the world in the championship uh, in terms of Teams play such a variety of different ways and, you know, are in your face. And, and yet he's imposed his own, um, his own style, you know. He's created a template that he wants to work from and he didn't vary too much from it. Um, and he coached the players and the players that were already at the football club um, that are, are almost unrecognisable in their level of performance now than before he arrived at the, the club, and I'm talking about the likes of Roman Size, Connor Cody, Matt Doherty, Spring to Mind, and I'm, there are plenty more, I'm sure. That just tells you what, what a fantastic coach he is. So getting back to your point about coaches staying, players staying or leaving, um, I think all of these players that have come to Wolverhampton Wanderers have bought into a project, and it wasn't a short-term project. Um, it was a long-term project to make Wolverhampton Wanderers great again and mix it at the high echelons of the uh, of the Premier League. And they are achieving that project. There is still work to be done um, and they'll never take their eye off the, the ball, but it was a project. And to my mind, it's going to take something special to prize players and uh, the coach away from that project. Of course, there are clubs out there that, at this moment in time, you have to say are special, like a Liverpool, like a Manchester City, like a Barcelona, like a Real Madrid. Um, but would I believe in Wolverhampton Wanderers to go to Arsenal, for instance? Arsenal fans, please forgive me if you are listening. Um, the answer is no, not at the moment, because the way the clubs are, um, the structure of the football clubs, um, the short-term future of the football clubs, the playing squads... Um, I wouldn't believe in Wolverhampton Wanderers to go to Arsenal with respect to Arsenal. They have been a remarkable football club and I'm sure they will be once again. But in this moment in time, um, I think Wolverhampton Wanderers are ahead of them. And do the management above them at boardroom level, Jeff Shee, etc., deserve credit? And the fact that it's a very settled squad. OK, so in the background, there's a bit about, you know, Bolly's contract looks like it's going to be renewed now and Nuno now ready to talk. But... But they don't have any of the issues that so many other clubs have, including Bournemouth with Ryan Fraser. Players out of contract, agitating for a move, weighing up their options. Everybody's settled and they're young and they're on long contracts. Very much so. 
I mean, Arsenal again are a, again. Please forgive me, any Arsenal fans listening, because I know that you're all pulling your hair out at the moment. What's going on? Things a bit late for that, Don. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but again, they are a prime example of how not to run your football club from the top, aren't they? Really, um, players like uh, Aaron Ramsey going for nothing. Um, Sanchez when he was one of the best players in the Premier League allowing his contract to run down uh, Aubameyang has got a decision to make sooner or later you're absolutely right Jackie you don't see any of that at Wolverhampton Wanderers of course I'm sure there are other small issues but nothing on the scale of uh, of that so you have to give Jeff Shee uh, and the hierarchy uh, an awful lot of credit uh, because they are running at the moment a wonderful ship and it hasn't always but certainly in the beginning of when they and took over it wasn't always plain sailing and they had to um, they had to dig deep and make difficult decisions and and work it out and uh, you know to their credit it didn't take them too long to work it out and what about the young lad Neto just turned 20 before scoring away to Olympiacos now scoring two in two uh, Portuguese under 21 international now that finish after that build-up both of them absolutely stunning yeah, now, I, I, I've heard whispers about how good this young man is, actually, and um, obviously I haven't seen an awful lot of him, um, but there are people telling me that he is going to be an absolute superstar, um, and that's people that are well-respected within football and not just people um, of a Wolverhampton Wanderers persuasion either. So um, You talk to other people, do you? Yeah. <laughs> occasionally just every now and again just really every now and again yeah <laughs> so um no he, he's highly thought of and uh, when you when i saw that the goal the strike it just it left you breathless didn't it really i mean actually wolverhampton wanderers fans have been used to the spectacular haven't they with ruben nevers around over the last few years but um you know i think even ruben nevers would have been proud of that but it was a wonderful goal and um really highlights the uh, the enormous potential that uh, that neto has got I think it's worth highlighting as well. The ball was picked up in midfield by Neves, passed it to Saiz, Johnny, Saiz, Johnny, Moutinho, Neves, then the forward pass to Triori. Beautiful skill from him to sidestep Lanzini and Salchek. Played in Doherty, first time curling cross for, for Neto to score. A nine-pass move mm. of absolute quality. Yes, the finish was stunning, but the build-up too. It tells you so much about this team. It does. Well described as well, Jackie. Anybody would think that you'd done commentary in the past, actually, wouldn't they? Um, <laughs> Anyone would think I've watched it 20 times last night when, I, <laughs> when everyone else had gone to bed. Oh, uh, good grief. No, it, I, I'm sure, I don't suppose any Wolves fans will tire of watching that goal. It, it was, in every conceivable way, it was a thing of beauty, wasn't it? You're absolutely right. And it just epitomises um, what there is at Wolves. You've got players that are very, very comfortable on the ball, they are prepared to be patient in their build-up uh, in terms of moving teams around and trying to get men between the lines. Eventually, the, the past found Traore. Then they have individuals with fantastic ability and skill to beat a man like Traore uh, and many, many others. And, of course, then it's it, it, it comes down to making the right choices and picking the right passes and putting the ball into the right areas. And, of course, Doherty did that in the end and Neto arrived perfectly on time and... Uh, executed uh, a, a wonderful strike on the volley and um, like I said it's a thing of beauty and uh, it will live long in the memory and Tim tell us about the run-in because on paper and I'm always keen to emphasize it's emphasize it's only on paper um, people are talking about it being favorable now this time last season that wouldn't have meant anything because they weren't great against the lower ranked sides lost twice against Huddersfield for example but it's different this season isn't it well, the first, I mean, for a start, the first six teams that they're playing in the restart, they're actually unbeaten against in the last couple of seasons, which bodes well. And yeah, you're right, last season they really did struggle against the bottom three. The teams that were struggling, they struggled to break them down. This season, not the case at all. So if you look at the bottom six, they've played uh, 10 games against the bottom six so far. They've won seven, drawn two, and lost only one. So half their points, which is 23. Um, have come against the bottom six teams, which 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 bodes well for the next two games. Don, why do you think that is? How have they turned that around from being poor, relatively poor, against the lower ranked sides last season mm. to being really strong against them this season? Have they just learned their lessons? Do you think? Is it just experience? Well, ultimately, they 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 have learned how to cope when teams put 
men behind the ball, uh, 10 men behind the ball at times. And then you have to be patient and you have to move them around and you have to play with width. And they've found solutions. And ultimately, that that word, it's a phrase I use an awful lot because it defines the difference between an average player, a good player, a very good player and a world-class player. It's, it's decision-making. And to me, the decision-making is improved in those kind of games against those kind of teams that are going to just flood the defence, put 10 men behind the ball and, and say, come on then, break us down. So um, they've found a way. And again, it's testament to Nuno. He's found a solution to what was last season, a, a, a huge problem, wasn't it, really, considering they lost twice against Huddersfield Town, just as one example, um, and had several poor results against other teams that were that were struggling down there. So the, the fact that they... They encountered those problems and yet still finished seventh in the in the table last season to, to qualify for Europe was was quite a remarkable effort on their part. So um, it is an exciting um, final eight games. Uh, they've only got Chelsea of the of the top of the teams above them. Uh, they have Chelsea to play. I think that's their last game, isn't it? Wouldn't it be uh, yeah, away. wonderful if they had uh, if they had a, a Champions League? place in their own hands in going into that game what what story that would be so but yeah you're looking at you're looking at the other games that they've got and um you know on paper and we have to be very careful don't we um mm. you know it's only going to be over the next probably two or three games that we're gonna we're going to be able to truly say since the lockdown since the break the west ham game were wolves simply brilliant or were West Ham simply awful, or was it a combination of the two? And I think we're going to find that out over perhaps the next two or three games. And just very finally, and briefly, if you would, please, Don, your thoughts on the game against Bournemouth at home? Well, they will be full of confidence after the West Ham performance and also after Bournemouth's uh, horror show, really. Um, they've got to be careful about Eddie Howe getting a reaction from his players because I don't think they can probably play any worse than uh, they did against uh, Crystal Palace, and they are a desperate team, and that represents danger to Wolverhampton Wanderers. But of course, all things considered, it is a game that you would would expect Wolverhampton Wanderers to win. Okay, Don Goodman, thank you so much for joining us on the Molyneux View. Always a pleasure. The Arsenal fans won't be quite so happy at having you on. <laughs> I'm sure they'll no. listen to us avidly every week. But uh, thank you so much. Take care. You're welcome. You're welcome. Cheers. Now, as a listener of this podcast, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash view right now that's harrys.com forward slash view now next up at Molyneux at 6 p.m this Wednesday is Bournemouth wounded after their 2-0 home defeat by Crystal Palace live on BBC One on Saturday and Peter Rutzler is the Athletics Bournemouth correspondent thanks for joining us on the Molyneux view Peter hi Jackie hi Tim it's good to be here thanks so much now what was the feeling about where it went wrong on Saturday oh, uh, it was a disappointing one on Saturday there was a lot of positivity, optimism after the break. Um, I think before the break, I mean, Bournemouth hadn't won in four games, but the performances had been a notable improvement, especially from December, January time, where they looked like a team that had lost all of their attacking identity, were conceding easy goals um, and looked completely bereft of confidence. Um, so there was still that optimism despite that late run of form um, coming into Palace, but they just didn't start. They started very slowly. They lacked intensity. They looked about a yard off the pace, really. Um, and, you know, Eddie Howe came out afterwards and said it, he thought it might be the weight of the occasion, which, you know, that's probably that's probably a concern, especially considering how important these remaining eight games are for Bournemouth um, because they really need to pick up points, especially in games like the one against Palace. Um, it was sort of a kryptonite for Bournemouth. They just can't seem to break teams who play in a low block down. They've really struggled in, in that regard and... Um, but they'll have to raise it for, for Wednesday night and God, it's going to be a very tough task against Wolves. Peter, it's Tim, you're right, mate. Um, I don't know if you saw uh, any of the BBC coverage, but Shearer and Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are absolutely tearing into Bournemouth. And one quote I picked out from Shearer, which is which is quite worrying from a Bournemouth perspective, is they've got to work harder. Um, there was absolutely nowhere near enough work rate for them from a start. I mean, that's when you're in a mm. relegation battle. The, the, the very least you expect is... It's hard work. I mean, did you see that the same? And if so, why is that? 
Yeah, no, I did. And I, I saw Shira's comments as well at half time. And it's it was pretty reflective of the first half performance. You're expecting a team to come flying out the traps. I mean, that's what Eddie Howe himself said, actually, when, when I asked him about it at full time, um, that he thought the team would come out and, and fight, but they didn't. Um, I mean, there were two sides to it. And uh, I tried to look at that in our match piece this weekend. Was it their preparation? Um, they didn't play any exterior opponents um they played at least three intra-squad games they weren't alone in doing that Everton did similar but there was a, I was wondering maybe if they didn't really have the, the right match preparation but every player had had 90 minutes under their belts um and then as I said before how put it down to the magnitude of it and it reminded me of a game where uh, earlier in the season against Watford similar sort of build-up lots of you know lots of focus on what it means and how important it is to get the win um, and they lost 3-0. Um, I mean, on Saturday, there was there was no crowd, but obviously it was on the BBC. And you wonder if that, you know, if the team are strong enough to deal with the pressure, really. I mean, that's 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 sort of the vibe that's come out of it. Because as you say, Tim, you, you expect the team to come out and, and to really crash into every tackle, fight for every ball. Um, and they were just a bit sluggish. It was just, there was no intensity. Everything was quite laboured. There was that sort of, you know, that feeling where you don't have confidence, nothing's based on your intuition, there's no natural understanding, it's all a bit all a bit disjointed and it just had that feeling in the opening 20 minutes and then Palace scored and it became a, a much more difficult task. They were better in the second half, um, they had less to lose of course, so they were able to come out attacking, So, it, but it plays into some familiar themes with Bournemouth this season, there's been so many different factors from they're real struggles to to break teams down. They're not very creative when they have possession. They're very good in transition. Um, they've been better against the bigger sides. They've got some big results against Chelsea. They beat them away. They beat Manchester United at home. Played well against Tottenham and Manchester City, um, which which I guess is a positive for the games they've got coming up because they're very tough. Um, but if you're playing a team who can sit well and, and defend well, they've just struggled and they've not they've not found the answers to that. What sort of changes personnel wise might you expect at Molyneux? It'd be interesting to see who Eddie Howe plays out wide and actually how he's going to tactically set up. Um, he stuck with a 4-3-3, which actually worked very well before the break. Um, it had Josh King on the left-hand side. He seems to really, really suit that position. Very good on one-on-ones and, and, and creating uh, an overload for Bournemouth. But um, he went with a 4-3-3 against Palace and it didn't really work. Um, David Brooks played centrally. He didn't quite suit him. He then switched to a 4-4-2 at half-time, brought on Arnout Danjuma, who's a new signing, who's been out for most of the season with injuries, which injuries have been the def- one of the defining features for Bournemouth. He looked quite lively, so it'll be interesting to see if he gets a start, whether Brooks will go back to the right-hand side, um, or whether he'll be fit enough to play, because he's only played, that was his first competitive game for a year. Um, and they've also lost Joshua King, who was injured in that game, thanks to a challenge from Gary Cahill. Um so there are some big questions about how they're going to set up, and it, I wouldn't be surprised if they they will form they will set up in a different way to how uh, they appeared against Palace. And do you think whoever gets named at left back might suddenly pull out in the warm up with something of a groin strain, perhaps <laughs> undetectable by human contact? <laughs> oh, I've got a bit of a niggle there. You want me to play left back? No, nah, sorry, sorry, Gaff, I can't do that today. Well, that's interesting. I mean, on on Saturday, Wilfred Zaha, this on the on the Bournemouth right, um, really caused some problems with Patrick Van Aanholt and the prospect of facing Wolves. I mean, when when Wolves came to the Vitality Stadium, Adama Traore ran them ragged um, on the right, and then Diego Diego Jota as well. He was so quick, so much um, sharper than, than Simon Francis, who picked up two yellows and was sent off. Um, so they're going to need to be on their toes, whoever does get the nod. It'll probably be Adam Smith. He's played there uh, of late. Diego Rico had really established himself in that position, but he, he's just seemed to have dropped out of favour. So either way, I think they're, they're two actual vulnerabilities potentially for Bournemouth. Um, Charlie Daniels has been out all year with a with a knee injury. Jack Stacey's come in and done very well in an attacking sense, but defensively at right back, he's he, he can be a bit vulnerable. So yeah, I think that's... It's such a worrying thought to the idea of coming up against the Wolves. It's a very potent attacking force. Is is Brooks the main the main danger to look out for then? I mean, if he's fit to start, like you say, he hasn't played for a long time, has he? Yeah, Brooks will be the the main danger. I think, he, he, as you say, he hasn't. He's been out for a while. He hasn't played most competitive games for a long time. So if he can get up to match speed quickly, I think he was their brightest spark on on Saturday. That's the only encouraging factor I think at the moment. 
Um, Dan Juma could be a wild card. He's always looked lively when he's come on, but we haven't seen him regularly. Um, but that's it, really. I mean, Callum Wilson's had a quiet season. He's he's not had the same service because Ryan Fraser's form hasn't been good. Um, he picked up after Christmas, but he's nowhere near the same level as last year. And the, the combination they had was so important to Bournemouth uh, in their success last year. So, um, so it, they'll need Brooks to be firing. I mean, he went off with cramp after an hour, so he's got to be fit. Um, Harry Wilson can play well. He can be a real a real asset, but he can also drift out of games. So, yeah, I think they'll be hopeful that he's that Brooks is fit and, and, and can make a difference. I mean, we're all looking forward to the season with such optimism, weren't we? And then, obviously, it's carried on with Wolves, but it's, it seems like the opposite for you, mate. What, uh, what are the chances of, of Bournemouth staying up, do you think? Is it looking pretty bleak at the moment? I think if you'd asked me before Saturday, I was very optimistic feeling. just Not just because, you know, you have time to take something, oh, you know, there they can do it, they can pick up the results. But because I genuinely felt that the team had turned a corner in terms of their performances... Um, Saturday seemed a step back. It really did seem a step back to some of the worst traits that the team has shown and, and above all, their lack of intensity, that lack of confidence. Um, I still think they can do it, but it will take some very extraordinary results, I think. The games they've got coming up, they've got Newcastle at home, a team who sit in a low block and Bournemouth will struggle to break them down unless they can score early. Um, Tottenham are similar. They, they, they are happy to sit in a block. Leicester like to play on the break. Wolves are... You know, you guys, the last few games have not had dominated possession. Bournemouth haven't won a game when they've had more than 50% possession. So those are the tricky ones. But then they go to Manchester United, they go to Manchester City and you go to Everton and you think, well, they're write-offs. But Bournemouth's best performances have been in those bigger games. Um, perhaps that's because they've got nothing to lose. And that might be different coming into the run-in. But those are the games that give you some hope that they can they can pull off an escape, but they, they need a drastic improvement from, from Saturday if they are to have any hope of picking up the points they need. Thank you, Peter. That's all right. Appreciate you coming on. Uh... Great to hear from you. <laughs> Shame you couldn't be more positive from your point of view. but uh... No, I know. It's, it's one of those things. I've come on and I'm, I've just... You start talking about it and you think, oh, okay, that's not great. But, you know, I've been quite negative, really. There's so much quality in the squad. Um that you'd think that when they can get it together, they can be exceptional. They've got Jefferson Lerma in midfield. He's criminally underrated. Brooks, as I say, Dan Juma, Wilson. These are elite players, international players. Nathan Ackett, centre-half. Um, for whatever reason, they just haven't quite clicked. And, and Palace was a setback, but they'll need to respond. And maybe we'll see a response on, on Wednesday night. They'll certainly need to see one. Exactly. They've still got plenty of talent and there's no way Wolves will be taking them lightly. But thank you very much. Hello, I'm James Richardson, host of the Totally Football Show, now part of the Athletics Podcast Network. We're going to be here following all the action as the 2020 football season reaches its belated conclusion. And if you're an Athletics subscriber, you can now hear exclusive ad-free versions of our show on the Athletic app. And don't worry, if you're not a subscriber, you can still listen to us for free with the occasional word from our sponsor by searching for The Totally Football Show on Apple, Spotify and all the usual podcast places. The Totally Football Show with me, James Richardson, still totally free and now totally ad-free on The Athletic. Tim, topical news that we touched on in the pod is Nuno being ready to talk about a new contract. This is big, potentially. Yeah, this is. I mean, this is an ongoing issue. It's been going on for a while. He's out of contract next summer, as is as everybody knows. So he was asked about it in Friday's Zoom press conference with uh, quite a few journalists and broadcasters and radio and whatnot, which was good fun. He was in good spirits actually. I think he quite likes the Zoom format, actually, Jackie. <laughs> Um, doesn't have to get too close to sweaty journalists like us as well and he can just mute who he doesn't want to hear from so um, yeah he was asked about his new contract and he kind of said look wasn't the time to talk about it during the pandemic there was lots more stuff going on but the key quote was now we are back we'll have time to talk he says Um, so he's obviously obviously He's open to talking. It sounds like that's going to happen quite soon. He says, it's so good to be here. We're still under contract. I get absolutely no impression at all that he's angling for a move. And for him to say that, we know he doesn't give a lot away in press conferences. He knew that that question would come up. So I'd imagine that's a bit of a pre-prepared answer. So for him to say, now we're back, we'll have time to talk. I think that's a very good sign. That's positive. So too is the Willy Bolly situation. 
Yeah, so he's one of few that hasn't penned a new deal uh, fairly recently and obviously he's one of many who's been looked at by other clubs. So from what I gather, he's ready to um, commit his future to the club, sign a new improved deal and that should be happening pretty soon, which as I tried to highlight in today's, um, in yesterday's, sorry, piece about Willy Bolly, he's so important to this team and I didn't realise until I looked it up after the West Ham game the stark contrast between when he's in the team and when he's not in the team. So obviously people will remember he had a spell out of the side injured uh, either side of Christmas, three months with an ankle injury. So without him, Wolves played 16 games. They lost five. They kept one clean sheet in 16 games and they conceded an average of 1.6 goals per game. With Bolly, which is the start of the season and the last few months, they've played 14 They've lost one game, which was away at Everton when he got sent off in the last minute, way back on September the 1st. They've kept eight clean sheets in those 14 games and they concede 0.6 goals per game. Now, if you if you replicate conceding that small amount of goals over the whole season with Bolly in the team, I think it works out as 24 goals in the whole season. Man City won the title last season conceding a very similar amount. I think it's one apart. So it just shows you when Bolly's in the team, it's an unbelievable defensive record. I think him, Cody and Saïs as a back three have not been beaten this season at all. So fantastic news. Like I said, my information is that he's keen to sign a new deal and he's happy to stay at the club. And um, for me, he's one of Wolves' big secrets, really. And he's one of the best defenders in the Premier League. Yeah, you say secret because people don't talk about him, do they? We've talked recently about underrated players and we talk about Saïs because no one really mentions him. But actually, when you compare the talent to column inches ratio, um, mm. Bolly's right up there in terms of being underrated by, by our national colleagues, don't you think? No one ever really mentions his name. No, you're right. Um, yeah, Neves, Neves, Jota, Traore, Jimenez, they're the ones that get the headlines, really. But Jota... Um Saïs as well is another one that goes underrated. I, I really enjoyed, I would encourage anyone to read it, an interview with Saïs last week. It was great fun. He's a very private guy. He's not on social media. We don't know much about him. A uh, really nice chat with him, which people can read. Uh, I'm one with Conor Ronan as well, actually. Um, so, yeah, Bolly. Uh, there's, there's a, I must say there's a slight bit of confusion as to when his deal actually expires. It's widely listed and widely thought to be next summer, but there's a suggestion he might have another year or two. I don't think it was announced at the time when he signed how long his contract is. But either way, he's he's about to sign a new one imminently from what I, what I gather. And um, yeah, as you say, he, he's as important as anyone really. Absolutely. Now, should we uh, come on to some tweets? Angus Gill asks, will the fan mosaic be individual pictures on the seats at Molyneux or just one big banner of faces across the stand? Uh, yeah, good question. So, um, big fan mosaic. People have paid to have their face on um, this big flag in the South Bank, which we'll see on Wednesday. So, I'm told um, the faces make up part of a bigger mural. So, it will be. It might be quite hard to make out individual faces um, when you watch it on telly. Basically, there are six thousand little squares making up a bigger image, and. Wolves have got lots of plans for how Molyneux going to look. They've got big banners, obviously, going all the way around Molyneux. And yeah, that fan mosaic, that's going to take up the whole of the South Bank. It really does make a difference when the grounds and the clubs have made an effort to cover yeah, the lower does, bowl. Yeah. I was at Reading, on Stoke, Reading Stoke on Saturday and they had individual fan cardboard cutouts on the one side, the, the long far side, which was really nice. And there was a very good um, Ricky Gervais um, what's his David Brent oh, character yeah, David Brent. yeah I saw that <laughs> something like I'm a Reading fan or something um, and it was good but but the ground especially when you see them on TV I thought Bournemouth did it really well Villa loads of big banners covering the seats and with the piped in crowd noise we actually had oh. live in the stadium it was like a South yeah. American drum beat at Reading I, I quite liked it because when they cut it off at half time full time it just went dead zero atmosphere um, but I doubt they'll have that at Molyneux will they no, probably not. But you're right. When you're watching it at home, yeah, with, with the banners and everything, it doesn't look like an empty ground and it doesn't sound like an empty ground. So it's good. And um, also, did you notice some some booze at full time at West Ham? I had a few. <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> Honestly, stop I had a few. Definitely. Oh, 100%. They did not. It's completely realistic as well, I've got to say. Sure, that was the media team. <laughs> 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 the staff. Oh, very funny. Um, now, 
Carl asks, do you think we can keep Podence with a lack of game time or opportunity, even in such a small squad? He's not really getting looked at. So in effect, he's waiting for an injury. Yeah, of course we can keep him. And I'm sure when he joined, he knew he wasn't going to waltz straight into the first team. And he did okay, I thought, in the couple of months we saw him. He was good at Espanyol away, albeit against a weakened team and a dead rubber. So he's just going to have to wait for his chance. I think... um, Neto's sort of surprised us all, really, with his performances. And since since kind of November, December, he's really come on and made strides. And it was interesting to hear how complimentary Don Goodman was about him. And I think he's ahead of he's ahead of Penance in the pecking order. Um, his his chance will come, but yeah, just not quite yet. Jamie Walters, what would happen if after five minutes Jimenez got injured against West Ham? And any news on Campana's progress? Strange not to make the nine subs seeing as he's the only other traditional centre-forward we have. Well, that's Pedenci's time to shine, isn't it, when Jimenez gets injured? <laughs> I think they'd probably go Jota centrally and, and two either side, but you're going to have to change the game plan completely, and that would be a massive concern. We'd be saying this for, for two years, so fingers crossed we don't have to worry about it, but yeah, without Jimenez, and let's hope his baby isn't born um, two hours before a match or something like that. Um, <gasps> I, just, I don't know what they do. I don't know what they do without him. Like I said, they probably put Jota there and... A Troyore can play centrally as well. He has done, but it's it's absolutely not ideal, and it doesn't look good for Campana. You know, like the question says, he doesn't even make the bench. I mean, he's obviously he must be um, must be way off it at the moment. Nine subs and you can't get on the bench. Yeah, that's a concern. Um, far more importantly, Jota's Barnet. Notice a lot of the players there seem to have wives you know, with, you, with well, very you, good coiffuring skills, don't they? You had uh, you had a little pop at me at the start of the, the start of the pod about my haircut. I did not. I said we didn't get chance to talk about your. Well, haircut. yeah, but everyone knew what you were inferring. Um, <laughs> it's not. I've, I've 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 done a bit of DIY myself. I've been been trimming it. I've been shearing yeah, I it. I can tell. <laughs> That's what um, I meant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, Jota and Traore as well. That was. Um, I wasn't expecting that. I quite like Traore's. I thought it's it's better than his braids, don't you think? Yeah, I like it. I like it all. I like it all. I just like seeing them play football in that way. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. It has been a pleasure as always. Nice of you not to take this week off. And great also to have Super Don Goodman and Peter Rutzler. Do enjoy the game if you're listening to this before the match. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Don't forget that you can subscribe at theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod for a 40% discount. So that's less than £3 a month for all the vast array of content. And those articles that Tim was referring to there, the likes of Conor Ronan, Roman Saiz, plenty there for you to be reading, getting your teeth into in between matches to get your Wolves fixed. By the way, you get ad-free content on the podcasts via the app if you are a subscriber. Now we will be back next Tuesday morning on your regular podcast platform. Bye for now. 